Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today on State of the World, what it's like on the ground in Gaza from an Israeli and a Palestinian. Thanks for listening to State of the World from NPR. We bring you the day's most vital international stories, up close where they're happening. It's Wednesday, November 29th. I'm Greg Dixon. Today, we're going to hear two experiences inside Gaza as the war between Israel and Hamas rages. In a few minutes, a Palestinian mother in Gaza as she tries to keep her family safe and alive. But first, the story of a young Israeli soldier who recently spent two weeks in Gaza in a support role for his commando unit. And Pierre's Daniel Estrin met him on a short weekend furlough before he headed back to the war. My name is Alon, Alon Kevin. I'm uh, almost 22 years old, and I was uh, like two weeks in Gaza. Alon Karen sits in his backyard in a tony suburban neighborhood of Herzliya, north of Tel Aviv. We're surrounded by a manicured hedge and citrus trees heavy with fruit. He spent two weeks in Gaza and arrived home the morning before we met. First thing was the laundry. Good showers, good food, good sleep, good friends. And he has to report back to his base the following morning. In Israel, army service in the IDF, the Israel Defense Forces, is mandatory for most 18-year-olds. He finished his service a few months ago, but was called up as a reservist when the war began last month. He's serving in a support role, ferreting in supplies for the 20 combat soldiers in his commando unit. Someone had to do it, and uh, it's a small job, but in the end it helps. Every 48 hours he drives back into Israel with equipment to repair, damaged weapons, Drones that malfunctioned, or that soldiers accidentally shot out of the sky. Even the, the IDF soldiers, the other IDF soldiers, think this is uh, drones of, of Hamas, and so they shoot it. When he's across the border in Israel? We can take a shower and connect to the phones, so like we can communicate with our parents and friends, tell them that we are all right, and then we go back. They leave their phones behind and drive back into Gaza with supplies for the troops. Food, water, hand sanitizer, wet wipes, beef jerky. Yeah, candies, chocolate, uh, they get sometimes, snacks. Sometimes he drives soldiers to their missions, which he described as raids. Sometimes he's evacuated lightly wounded soldiers from shrapnel. Scores of soldiers have been killed in Gaza. He is not in combat. The days... Uh, for me, are pretty simple. I don't. Uh, it's not like uh, a routine. For me, we, we wake up, we drink the coffee. You can see the beach, and it's nice. Have you seen any any of the Palestinians? No, no, not one. Israel has ordered Palestinians to evacuate northern Gaza, where the troops are, though some have stayed. His unit slept in an abandoned home in sleeping bags on the floor with the sound of bombings and tanks outside. A little bit hard to sleep because of the noise, so you need like to be almost the whole time with earplugs. An Israeli stand-up comic and Instagram star was sent to entertain the troops and their friends watching back home. 
Alon Karen appears in the background of this video when he was on one of his breaks across the border in Israel. He shows me a picture of the soldiers in his unit hanging out in Gaza on the Mediterranean shore at sunset. Like the water is, is, is here. And that area is very safe. So you, you don't feel the war. You, ver- you feel that the IDF, this is his place. So it's not, it's not Gaza anymore. Gaza is no longer what it was before the war. The extent of the destruction is hard to fathom. The deaths have been catastrophic. The vast majority of the population has been displaced, scrounging for food, water, safe shelter. A completely different experience from that of this soldier, who admits he doesn't have a real sense of the bigger picture of where the war is going. You, you can't understand the big picture, so for me it's feel uh, right to, be, to take part it's not, it's not fun for us. It's not fun uh, for no one. But we have to do it to protect our civilians and to, to make sure they can live in their cities safe. His girlfriend, Noam Segal, who's almost 21, is here listening to his stories along with me. I asked her about Palestinians enduring the war in Gaza, who are not part of Hamas. From what I heard, that there is some, also people that are not part of this organization, but support what this organization do, and it's to kill us. So I cannot be, like, sorry for them, but I, yeah, I'm sorry for people that are not part of it and just live there and, and need to suffer this. But I'm also, I, I need to think first of, of my people. It's personal for them. They know three kids around their age who were taken hostage in Gaza, including this soldier's neighbor a few houses away. Their moms are friends. It feels very weird that because of Gaza Strip is very small. When I'm in Gaza Strip, I, I said to myself, uh, so like there is 200 and like 250 civ- Israeli civilians probably v- very close to me. Later that night after we met, one of their friends was released from captivity and left Gaza, while the next morning, this soldier went back to Gaza in uniform. Daniel Estrin, NPR News, Herzliya, Israel. So that's the experience of an Israeli soldier inside Gaza. Now, another life in Gaza and another side of this war. NPR's Aya Betraoui has been talking to Palestinians in Gaza throughout the conflict. She brings us this story of a mother trying to shield her children from the horrors of war and stay alive. You know, in Gaza, seconds, seconds between life and death. You can't expect when, how long will you live. That's Iman Abu Said, an architect, social worker, and a Palestinian mother of two. She was still in her home in Gaza City when I called her on October 9th. She's one of the people I'd been introduced to over the phone as I was searching for people to talk to in the Gaza Strip about life during this war. But already, life as she knew it had changed. Um, My sister was calling me right now. She called me to bring her, send her some clothes for her kids. Abu Said comes from a family of 11 siblings. She told me one of her sisters was displaced and needed to borrow clothes from her children, Judy, 12, and Ziad, 11. I couldn't explain it. I couldn't explain the situation in Gaza. It's it's uh, catastrophic, and you know there are things that happen in war in Gaza that you can't know from news. You need to live them to understand to understand them. Like how hard it is to protect your children from the horrors of war, 
and the smell of death and bombs all around. Her kids were terrified of the buzzing of Israeli aircraft and the crashing boom of airstrikes, the bombardment from Israeli naval ships off the coast. From the sea, from the air, from everywhere, many of the buildings surrounding us have been bombed by F-16. So, you know, you don't, we're trying to escape, but we don't know where to go. Just two days into the war, the building next to hers had already been hit by a bomb. We woke up with the dust bombing on our faces and bodies and smelling of gunpowder and dirt. And my, my kids crying and shouting all the day because of the bombing from the F-16 uh, war airplanes from the Israeli occupation. And we feel helpless, afraid. Israel blames civilian deaths on Hamas, saying it operates in civilian areas by using people for cover. But Abu Said rejects this argument and says Israel's actions against Gaza go much further, including a 16-year blockade since Hamas took over. Her children never had a chance to see life outside Gaza. They didn't see anything outside Gaza except kills, murder, electricity off, no food. What about our civilians and our children and kids in Gaza Strip? What about them? Do you uh, wait for the Gazans to fight for their rights and to, to, to get back their rights to live in dignity? It's the simplest uh, requirements of our kids and our people here in Gaza. They need to, to move freely. They need to, to, to have adequate uh, services, water, electricity, as anyone in the world. That's it. She listed all the wars and conflicts her children had already survived. 2014, 2021, 2022, 2023, aggression in Gaza, yes. She told me about specific scenes of death in Gaza during this war, of mothers and children being pulled out of the rubble as eshlet, Arabic for body parts. She didn't want her kids to see that. Um, kids are um, dead, mothers' kids dead. They are just full of dust. They are like ashla. Yani. They are, yes, yes, it's a horrible, a horrible, horrible uh, things to see here in Gaza. And I try, I try to make my kids safe. She ended up moving with her kids and her husband to her parents' home in an area Israel told people to flee to. Then, on October 31st, airstrikes destroyed the five-story building, according to witnesses. Abu Said and her family were killed. Iman Abu Said was pulled from the rubble in body parts, just like the scenes she'd been trying to shield her children from. Her two children, Judy and Ziad, and her husband, Iyad, also died. In all, 23 members of her family died in that attack, including her parents, five siblings, other relatives, and 12 children in total from the family. Her brother, Muhammad Abu Said in the UK, confirmed the details of her death and how hard it's been. You know, Iman is, uh, is, is a very kind person. Oh my God, she, she, she has this really big heart. But we never expected that the whole building will be flattened. This, this is something we never expected, never, never came to my mind. Um, mentally, it's very, very damaging. Uh, I don't know, 10 years I was praying that to Allah just, you know, to, to reunite us with my family. And uh, 
but this this would never happen. In our conversations, Abu Said had told me that she saw the Hamas attack on Israel as quote a very natural response to what Israel had done since 1948. She said she knew Americans wouldn't understand this about an attack that killed women and children and took hostages. Is it only the right for for Israel uh, the occupation to defend themselves? And what is what about the Gazans? What about them? What about them? Who will defend them? Just days before her death, Iman Abu Said wrote there was no longer internet to call me and that her home that she'd left in Gaza City had been bombed. She said, Gaza is bleeding. Aya Batrawi, NPR News. That's the State of the World from NPR. Consider supporting vital journalism like this from around the world. You can do that by signing up for State of the World Plus at plus.npr.org or on our show page in Apple Podcasts. Thank you for your support. Thanks to everyone for listening. See you again soon. On this week's Wild Card, we talk with Issa Rae about those moments where our lives could have gone another direction. Definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all. At all. But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Rae tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wild Card podcast from NPR, the game where cards control the conversation. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts, only from NPR. Why is everyone so obsessed with traditional wives or trad wives on social media? This week, we're talking about the viral videos of women making marshmallows and mozzarella from scratch, and how behind the sheen of calm kitchens and cute fits, there's some interesting pessimism about our modern world. And that's worth digging into. Next time on It's Been a Minute from NPR.